today on Ag News Daily. And at ZCAL, um, with our PhotoSeed technology, we kind of made two major breakthroughs. One of which is we were able to improve how the plants um, capture carbon, so there's more carbon recycling. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, I know you've got a interesting story to kick things off, spice things up on today's episode. Why don't you uh, share with us that story? I do indeed. And, you know, I, I think it's quite funny because Martha Stewart has gotten into the world of cannabis infused oils and drops and soft baked chews for dogs just months after she released CBD gummy treats for humans. After that hit the shelves here in the US at least. And to be honest, I just kind of think it's funny that it's Martha Stewart. But um, that might just be something that I find funny. <laughs> but um, anyways, Stewart's line will include soft chews marked under three different categories, wellness, calm, and mobility, ranging between $19.99 and $22.99, depending on the formula and the size of the dog. The products will be available starting next Tuesday on Canopy's e-commerce websites and on Franchise Group Incorporated's The Vitamin Shop website next month. And I just think this is quite interesting because we haven't really talked about CBD on the podcast. I've used CBD before. I know my dad's a big person when it comes to CBD because we're both really anxious and he uses it a lot on like his muscles and joints and and stuff like that because he's achy and old, but I use it because I'm kind of an anxious person. And it's really just a side of agriculture that I find really interesting because although it is part of cannabis plants, it's not a um, psychotic, I think is what they call it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the market for pet CBD products is expected to reach sales of about $400 million in 2027 from just $37.4 million last year, according to a report released by Grandview Research Incorporated back in August. So this market is absolutely booming. And that's just for pet CBD products. That's not for human right. That's the part that amazes me is people are willing to spend this much money on their pets. I, you know, one of my friends is really pet crazy about her dog. And so I, it really just doesn't surprise me anymore how much people are willing to pay for their pets. And now that we're in a pandemic, you're spending so much time with your pet. I'm sure your pet has separation anxiety. So CBD might be a good choice. Hmm, that's true. An interesting interesting point I hadn't thought of. But I've got a little bit more serious news here to kick things off. Ashton. That is export sales numbers. We saw USDA private US exporters sold about 53.5 million bushels or 1.36 million tons of corn to China over the past 24 hours. Now, there was an additional amount of, I believe, uh, I'm not having the number right in front of me. I think it was, you know, I don't even want to speculate. I can't remember. But I also read that there was another big portion sold to, quote, unknown destinations, which obviously speculated to be China as well. But these export sales happened rather quickly. As I mentioned, they're just within the past 24 hours. And this definitely helped to support corn and soybean prices today. And uh, we've seen USDA's export sales now numbers now running well ahead of 
where they were estimated to be for this time of year. I, w- I want to say I read something like we're 75% already at the targets that USDA had set for this marketing year. And we're only about halfway through that marketing year. So we are continuing to push the envelope when it comes to our export sales. And that's been very supportive for the markets. Well, Delaney, this isn't really corn, it's ethanol, but I have some export news myself. Earlier today, ADM co-CFO Ray Young said that China had bought roughly 200 million gallons of U.S. ethanol for the first half of 2021, which matched its previous record for annual imports. The accelerated imports are among several positive signs for the ethanol industry, which of course has been hit hard by years of oversupply and more recently a sharp drop in demand as the pandemic slammed fuel use. But China has not traditionally been a large importer of ethanol, but rising demand for renewable fuels and a smaller than expected domestic crop of corn used to make ethanol has spurred a need for imports. Reuters reported that China had planned a nationwide rollout of gasoline blend containing 10% ethanol in 2020 in a push towards environmental sustainability and biofuels, but the rollout was suspended following a sharp decline in corn stocks. However, that green fuel push might be back on track in the new year. Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfurls there in China, but I'm going to keep things right along here. Exports and China. ADM's CEO, Juan Luciano, went on to say today, Ashton, that although we've had a very interesting and unprecedented year, ADM is speculating and forecasting more specifically that uh, we're going to have a continued good year here into 2021. This news is coupled with the export news I just mentioned there, but ADM said that they expect China to import about 25 million metric tons of corn, which is about 984 million bushels throughout the 2020-2021 marketing year. They said, as you mentioned there, Ashton, we're seeing China's corn inventory much lower than the market is reporting, which is reflected in current prices. And he said, coupled that with the export news that we've been seeing and China's imports driven by the pork industry's recovery from African swine fever are very bullish factors for both the corn and soybean markets. Um, He went on to say that uh, ADM's profit margins were a little tight in 2020, but here in 2021, they're expecting to see things really roll around or turn around for pretty much all industries across the ag specter. So it sounds like a lot of folks are optimistic about what 2021 will bring. It certainly does sound that way, Delaney, and I don't know if it's just me or if it's kind of a placebo effect seeing all these people, you know, be super hopeful, but my mood certainly has been positive this week. But I just have one other story that I want to share today, and it's coming from Iowa U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley who said he would not be surprised if President Biden tries to make the federal vehicle fleet all electric. During his weekly call with ag reporters earlier today, he told Brownfield Ag News that he has no problem with electric vehicles. However, he was quoted as saying, but if you're going to mandate like California has electric cars by 2035 and half of the fleet by 2025, then you're obviously going to hurt 43,000 jobs in Iowa that come from renewable fuels. 
Grassley said that while Joe Biden does not have the authority to mandate electric vehicles nationally, he might be able to require the federal government to purchase a specific amount without the consent of Congress. So again, this is kind of just speculation on what Biden will do, but it's definitely something interesting because when I think about electric cars, I think, oh, super neat, super cool. But Grassley makes a good point that he's going to hurt a lot of jobs that are based in the renewable fuels industry if this is something that he does consider, he being, of course, President Biden. Yes, and I think this is all very timely news as we're talking more about the Renewable Fuels Association tomorrow with uh, Growth Energy CEO Emily Score. Fortunately, I didn't have that piece of news equipped during the interview that we recorded actually earlier today, Ashton, but that would have been a good one to ask about. But I don't want to give too much away, but I think it's a good interview with Emily. She's got a lot of insight into what we should be expecting for this new administration. But ethanol sounds like it's going to be on the forefront of continued issues that we have to deal with here in rural America. Another issue, final issue I wanted to mention today that we're going to have to deal a little bit more with this year is higher fertilizer prices. During the third week of January, we've seen prices hold firm from major fertilizers, or excuse me, four major fertilizers, including nitrogen, phosphates, and potash. After the release of the January WASDE report, we saw, of course, lower yields for corn and tighter soybean inventories, but nonetheless, prices continue to rise for our fertilizer prices. And this trend is continuing into this week and beyond. We're seeing New Orleans and inland terminals down south. Prices down there are remaining pretty steady. And folks are forecasting that we're going to have some steep fertilizer prices here in the months ahead, mostly due to tighter supplies. So if you haven't locked in fertilizer needs for 2021 yet, it might be a good time to look into doing that. You know, I don't know enough about the fertilizer market to tell you how to do that or when you should be doing that. But it does seem that uh, globally, actually, not just in the United States, we're going to see a little bit of a tight supply when it comes to fertilizer this year. Well, Delaney, like I said earlier, I am all out of news for the day and it sounds like you are as well. So how about we talk about the markets? Yes, let's do that, Ashton. And we definitely have seen grains reverse off of last week's lows. We're starting to, not quite there yet, but starting to be able to put in some fresh highs across the board. But uh, things are looking pretty good overall. You know, I was reading some commentary earlier today that said, in bullish markets like this, it's not unusual to see things adjust, you know, 50, 60 cents. Uh, because we're going to have a big range here moving forward. So it sounds like a lot of folks are still bullish across the commodity industries, especially if you're a grain producer, maybe not so much if you're a livestock producer. But kicking things off here in the March corn contract, up 20 and three quarters cents today to close at 532 and a quarter. The May up 19 and a half to close at 533 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, the March contract up 26 and three quarters cents to close at 1370. The May up 26 and three quarters to close at 1369 and a half. Chicago wheat higher on the day as well as the March contract up 16 and three quarters to close at 665 and a quarter of the May up 15 and a quarter to close at 664 and a half. And in livestock, a little bit of mixed trade today, but uh, feeder cattle mostly lower as to be expected when we see corn prices increasing like this. Kicking things off in the March feeder contract up 
excuse me, down two dollars thirty-seven and a half cents to close at one forty-one forty-seven and a half. The April down a dollar ninety-seven to close at one forty-four twenty-seven. Live cattle higher today is the February contract added forty-seven and a half cents to close at one seventeen. The April up fifteen cents to close at one twenty-three ten. And mixed trade in the lean hog markets as the February contract shed seventeen and a half cents to close at seventy forty-five. The April up thirty-two and a half to close at seventy-six ninety-five. And rounding out our markets with the class three dairy milk futures. February down 56 today to close at 15.40. The March down 50 cents to close at 16.54. And without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to my conversation with CEO of ZCal, Han Chen. Well, for today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, we are joined by Han Chen, who is the CEO of ZCal. Han, thank you so much for joining today. It's my pleasure, Delaney. Thank you for having me. So, Han, before we talk about the company, let's talk a little bit about your background first. Tell us how you got into the carbon space and what your journey's been like up until this point. Sure. Um, well, I think like all great uh, entrepreneur stories, um, there's a very large element of serendipity. So I uh, did not set out originally to um, work with my team to change photosynthesis and carbon capture in plants. Um, I started off on the investment side actually as a venture capitalist. And um, the name ZCAL actually comes from our roots being both a New Zealand and California company at that time. We found some great science out of New Zealand that wanted a larger home beyond uh, the smaller market down there. And they really want to see opportunities in the U.S. And we worked with one of the largest uh, research organizations there. And we found this technology that at the time um, we didn't know was a photosynthesis trait. And we were just trying to help them um, improve commercialization. But when we saw what this technology was doing and its applications in crops that were very important to New Zealand, uh, we said, geez, so this could really translate into U.S. row crops. This could be an important and valuable tool for farmers. And that's how that kind of transition led to the formation of ZCAL and uh, what we're focused on today. Fantastic. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that on your company's website. It says your focus is to increase the photosynthetic capacity of plants. Tell us what that means. Break that down for us for some of our non-science folks. Yeah. So um, if you guys rewind a little bit to maybe your freshman or sophomore year of biology, um, photosynthesis is the process where plants take sunlight, carbon dioxide and water and change that into the food, fiber and feed that is so important you know, to our society today. And the challenge is, is that people forget plants didn't evolve over millions of years necessarily for our benefit as society. And it's only been through the efforts of breeders and innovators that we've been able to make the modern day crop. But surprisingly, the uh, photosynthetic efficiency or how efficient a plant is at converting that CO2 into you know, what we want for food, feed, and fiber is actually very inefficient. Uh, the light capture uh, you know, and that chemical process could still use a lot of improvement. And the reason is, is that you know, um, plants have negative feedback mechanisms, just like humans, you know, when we eat, we get full and we stop eating. 
And plants similarly, when they photosynthesize at a certain point, they say, well, that's enough. You know, I have enough energy to do what I need to do and I'm going to shut that down, which is why innovation in this space has been so difficult to overcome. And at ZCal, um, with our photosee technology, we kind of made two major breakthroughs. One of which is we were able to improve how the plants uh, capture carbon. So there's more carbon recycling. But the second part of it is we're kind of taking away what I said earlier with these negative feedback mechanisms. In other words, we're fooling the plant into thinking that it's hungrier than it really is. So sustaining photosynthesis for longer and overgrowing season, that's going to translate into a lot more productivity. So tell us about the solution behind that. Is this a fertilizer type of component? Is it a spraying component? Is it just the seed trade itself that's uh, being tricked into thinking that it's in photosynthesis longer? It's just a seed trait itself. This is a very elegant, um, you know, two gene modification that we've developed now across a number of different um, crop species. And the one that we're most focused on is soybeans. So this is a technology that can work across different cultivars, uh, different growing environments. And the way that the higher photosynthesis uh, manifests in soybeans is that we're able to sustain better composition with the additional energy. So a lot of uh, the listeners probably know that soybeans is both a protein and an oil crop, and it's really hard to increase both of those simultaneously. They usually trade off with each other. And what we've been able to do is to increase both without a penalty to yield because we're sustaining staining that now with the higher energy created by the photosynthesis. Ah, okay. That's fa fascinating. Yes. I, I know a lot of producers that uh, have to decide sometimes, or we talk about that, especially with uh, South America, it seems like they have the trade-off a lot where it's either higher yield or higher protein content. Um, so tell us a little bit more about the trait itself. Is this something that's available yet for commercial launch? Will you be licensing it to different seed companies or what's your plans for rolling this out to the market? You know, that's a great question, Delaney. And um, it's still somewhat in flux because right now, um, I think we, in addition to developing the science, which will be available um, on the market in the next uh, few years or so, we are also rethinking how to best ensure that this technology um, fully captures the value and can make the greatest difference. And that also requires a rethinking of our our business model. Um, so right now at ZCal, we're also pioneering this concept called new type agriculture, which is how can we actually better harmonize the ag supply chain so that traits that focus not only on yield get commercialized? Because when you look at the soy industry or the soy supply chain right now and everyone that touches it, the incentives for growers and the seed company innovators are very different than what end users such as protein companies look for out of soybeans. So farmers are paid um, on yield. So that's bushels per acre in the field. And that's what drives innovation at the large seed companies. But when you speak to end users, um, in the animal feed market, processing, poultry, swine, what they're really looking for is nutritional density. They want to ensure that per unit of feed, that there is the maximum um, nutrition and they formulate based around that. So that disconnect um, really hampers innovation. And so for our technology to, you know, kind of meet its 
uh, full potential. We've also been thinking about how do we harmonize supply chain to get everyone to work together. And that really starts with this idea that we really have to share value along the supply chain. Because surprisingly, even though we're all in this to feed the world, um, it can be very competitive. And so we're trying to find ways that our technology can benefit every player along the way. And through that, you know, create more diversified, resilient incomes, especially one that has a strong consumer story that's focused on consumer empowerment and also our uh, value around sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also noticed on your website, you talk about the statistic where in the next 30 years, agricultural productivity has to increase by 70% to meet global demand. And I'm sure that's a story that a lot of our listeners have heard, you know, the 2050 number that keeps looming out there. So it sounds like your technology really is also trying to capture that and tackle that problem as well, which seems like a big problem to try and tackle. Yeah, you're looking at a number of different converging factors. Um, first of all, is the demand for calories and just productivity overall is not going away. So, so that's that first number. But compounded on top of that, you also have two, I will call it constraints. The second one of which is the demand, not only for calories, but actually for nutrition. So right now across the world, we have kind of two um, epidemics going on. One of which is this need for calories, a lot of the world still faces um, malnourishment, still faces starvation. But then we also face these issues in um, developed countries of obesity and uh, nutrition-related diseases. And that case is not about access to calories, but it's about access to better nutrition, healthier oils, more protein. And then the third factor is we have to do all this. We have to meet you know both of these demands but a much smaller footprint so if you look at what's going on in soybeans the world's most important protein crop we're kind of pushing up to the boundaries of how, how much more land we can take into production to meet this protein demand um, already we're seeing soy kind of meet a lot of consumer resistance because of how many new acres that are coming under production comes at the expense of natural habitats. And this is very true for uh, expansion in Latin America. So if we're going to really meet this demand for more calories and more protein, we really have to focus on what I'll call nutrient densification per acre. So we think our technology can play an important role because it's meeting these goals of sustainability and nutrition with a single technology. And this comes really our campaign and our tagline, which is carbon to nutrition. Yeah. And, you know, you you said that or you mentioned, obviously, that you've been focused very heavily on the soybean industry to serve as both a protein for livestock as well as humans consumption. But when you look at the marketplace, are there any other crops or fruits and vegetables that will be coming to the pipeline and in, in your front mirror, front rear view mirror, I should say, that you think will be important to continue the sustainability of food across the world? Yeah, we need to diversify not only the type of innovations that go into the world's most important food crops, but the type of crops where innovation is benefiting. So as ZCAL right now, um, we have programs in soybeans, rice, forages, and also hemp. And um, looking forward for 2021 and beyond, we're very interested in seeing this technology uh, get commercialized in other crops like corn, canola, and the grain crops. Um, absolutely, we need to see more innovation. And so when we look at companies working on 
new crop domestication or crops that really haven't gotten the attention that soy and corn have. Um, that's really exciting for us because these crops and how nature evolved them, they just have certain advantages and certain desirable traits that are already there. And if those crops get a big enough market, that's where innovation um, like ours could then step in and further increase that productivity. Absolutely. It's very exciting. This is really interesting stuff, Han. Thank you so much for joining us. Before I let you go, if some of our listeners have questions or want to learn a little bit more about ZCal, where can they do that? Well, please do visit our website, um, Z-E-A-K-A-L, Z-E-A-K-A-L.com. Um, you can also reach us at info at Z-E-A-K-A-L.com. We have a uh, section there devoted to our news. We do a lot of different blog pieces, and uh, we also put on a special series called The Root of It, examining a lot of the challenges currently facing agriculture. So that's a lot of resources um, that are available through there. And uh, hopefully your listeners will reach out to us and we'll have a chance to continue this dialogue. Absolutely. Well, Han, thank you again for joining today. Of course. It's my pleasure, Delaney. Thank you for having me. Well, again, a big thank you there to Han for joining us today, Ash. And he was really a fantastic find. I was mentioning to this to him afterwards. You know, people always ask us, oh, how did we do? Is that what you wanted for the interview? And I told Han and, you know, I absolutely agree 100%. I want to continue to reiterate this, but I think sometimes on Tech Tuesday episodes, we get folks that are really involved and passionate about what they do, but maybe it doesn't always translate well to the producer. Han did such a fantastic job, in my opinion, of sharing what they're working on and making it understandable, I think, to anybody across the spectrum, regardless of your science-based knowledge. And mine, to be honest, is quite small compared to folks like him. So great find, Ashton. Well, as we record this, Delaney, I haven't listened to the interview just yet. So you're really hyping it up and I can't wait. And listeners, you've already listened to it at this point. So I hope that you enjoyed it. And I hope that you enjoy all of our episodes that you can find on agnewsdaily.com. And if you have any other interesting finds that you would like us to share, please feel free to reach out to us on social media at agnewsdaily. We'd love to hear your thoughts on what you'd like to see on the podcast. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.